You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and these are my interviews with two of the stars from Red Rocket, Brie Elrod and Susanna Sun, and the writer and director, Sean Baker. You said you're never going to step a foot in Texas again. I know, this is unexpected. Oh, nothing with you is unexpected. Your last job is over 17 years ago. That's quite a gap. Well, you know, I've worked almost every day for the last 17 years. I moved back in with my wife last week. No, I'm calling the cops. Four, nine, really? Eight. We decided to make a run of it. I just need a place to crash for a couple of days. What's the big deal? Nike, go fuck yourself. All right, look, I'm going to be straight with you. I'm an adult film actor. Excuse me? Hi, Bree. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today about your role in Sean Baker's latest film, Red Rocket. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So first things first, I would love to know, because I'm always very interested in how projects come together in this wacky industry that we call Hollywood. Uh, How did you come on board and get involved in the project of Red Rocket? Well, um, you know, I've done mostly theater. And so Mm -hmm. I was doing a play at the time in Portland, Oregon, and it had just been shuttered due to COVID. So I was in the middle of having an existential crisis about, is my industry completely dead? Will I ever work again? Will anyone ever work again? Will there ever, you know, will there be theater? Um, And so I was in Portland uh, at the time, and I got a call from Samantha Kwan, who is a producer on this film, uh, also partners with Sean Baker and an amazing actor in of herself she and I went to NYU grad acting together many moons ago and she said that she was working out and she and Sean were just having a good workout and she like literally dropped a barbell when they were talking about who could do this part and she said Brielle Rudd and so she called me and she said I just think that you would be so right for this role and I said well what is it and she said well she's a a heroin addicted former porn star and I was like (laughs) like, yeah Sammy yeah, yeah, you're right. You called the right person. Um, so, you know, I, I basically, uh, she gave me a monologue to work on because um, the script was not in a form that they were comfortable sharing it yet. They were still working on it. So I worked this uh, theater monologue up and they said, no, you know, no makeup, just straight to the camera, just very natural. And I worked really hard on that audition and then I submitted it. And then a couple hours later, Sammy called me and was like, Sean watched like a minute of it and was like, that's Lexi. I love it. So that's kind of how it came to be. So you talk about these qualities that uh, your your friend uh, felt that you were right for, for playing this character. But I'm curious to know that when you did read the screenplay and you saw the character on the page, what qualities spoke to you uh, that made you go, yes, this is a character I'm interested in playing? Oh, man. I mean, there's so many. It was such a such a good role. And, um, you know, she she has a hopefulness. Mm -hmm. She has a playfulness. um, She's sarcastic. She's Mm -hmm. opinionated. She's powerful. Um, There were there were many qualities about Lexi that I felt like I was excited to uh, explore and tap into. And, you know, of course, there are some circumstances in her world that are not ideal and that are hard, um, you know, namely with her child being gone and, uh, you know, having to do Craigslist. You know, I I think that there are many things that she's uh, having to having to do. There are many things that that are a challenge. And so I think as an artist, my goal was to just bring as much uh, humanity to the part as I could and a a genuine, authentic wish for wanting to have a good life. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I feel like we're living in an age right now where people don't want to see ugly sides of humanity. Uh, it feels very much like Every time I see uh, a challenging character presented on screen, the way that Mikey is, for example, or really any of the characters that inhabit Sean Baker's world, um, I always seem to hear from people, oh, this is ugly and this is like not something I necessarily want to be seeing. Do, do you feel that, 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 that there is like this almost obligation, if you will, like you said, as an artist to tell the truth uh, through your work that yes, these people do exist and we shouldn't shy away from that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, th I think that Sean captures a slice of life that is not often shown in movies and films and it is hard and it is raw and it does exist. And I think that, you know, one of the biggest compliments I felt like we've received was from a man who stood up after a screening, I think it was in Memphis. And he said, I grew up in a community just like this. Like these are the people that I know. And it mm -hmm. is so refreshing to see somebody sharing their world on screen in a way that doesn't feel exploitative. And, and I think that's very important to Sean. Sean really wants to make sure that the people of the community that he is filming and feel like they're being honored in some way, that they're not being, that it's not some kind of, um, you know, uh, exploitative venture of like, this is this, you know, stereotyped side of something. These are just these people who are trying mm -hmm. to live some semblance of a good life. I feel like people just don't read between the lines. They they just see that a story is being told and they think that this is like endorsement. And yeah, oh, they, sure, sure. yeah and they, they just don't do the hard work to realize what you all are trying to do ultimately. And, you know, I find it interesting because Mikey is just such a crazy character and your character has conflicting emotions about him where loving him one moment, hating him the next, and just wanting to be absolutely rid of him. What do you think it is about his character that draws your character into him? Well, you know, I think, uh, I think, I think, when you grow up with someone and because of their history, because they grew up together, they, yeah. they fell in love, they went to LA, they got into the porn industry together. There's a familiarity that we have with people. And even if they may be toxic in our lives or maybe not the best for us, there's just something comforting about them, just who they are. And even comfort in the drama, if that makes sense. There's something about that person that just is, and, and I think it's also just natural chemistry too. I think that they genuinely like turn each other on and they also just are like, yeah, hate each other, love each other, want to kill each other, want to play, want to, you know, I mean, I, it really is just, um, and I think that that was the, one of the fun parts about this film was uh, Simon and I trying to find their history together and trying to live in this world where, you know, you get to see like how they actually work. I mean, that's the hope is that people can see why Lexi and Mikey would be together. You're like, oh, I totally get why these two humans at one time were like, yeah, let's do this. Um, but also they can't stand each other. And, you know, he <laughs> blames her for like, I mean, I love how there's so many scenes where he's like, that's why it all went to shit. You know, it's Lexi, it's Lexi. He blames Lexi for like everything. Yep. Um, and then you see him and you're like, wait a minute, you know, and I love that line <laughs> that Sean put in. It's like, I, you know, where Lexi says, like, I have a feeling there's a whole lot more to this story. You know, um, I, I love that she says that because that is the thing with Mikey. He will present only what is, you know, going to get him into the next moment. Um, but it may not be necessarily the truth. Sure. Absolutely. You mentioned earlier about um, COVID shutting down like the theater scene. Uh, but obviously the film industry is 
finding ways to work around uh, COVID, instituting uh, different protocols for making safe environments on set. Uh, can you talk about like what it was like being on a film set like during this time? Because, you know, I, I can imagine somebody's going to write a book about all of this someday. And, you know, it's just like really great. I think gathering that information, that perspective. Yeah, no, I, I, it was precarious. I mean, uh, I had not been around that many people in a group setting for months. So to actually, we drove down to Texas, everyone had to drive because we couldn't fly because the budget was so small, they couldn't afford to put us up for quarantine in a hotel for two weeks. I mean, this, it is a miracle that this film was even made. I mean, and that's why this is so fun to be on this side of it now to see, oh my God, we not only made a film, but like people are really excited and engaged by this film. Um, But it was precarious. It was um, a a scary time. Um, We all, everyone was wearing masks. It was a very small um, crew and everyone was kind of wearing a bunch of hats. Everyone was kind of, and that's also a testament to Simon is like, Simon just showed up and was like, had a very can do attitude. And, you know, everyone kind of had to be that way because there were some things due to COVID that we couldn't film one day or somebody ended up getting COVID or like whatever, you know, it just, it was, it, it was precarious. So I feel like I am just thrilled. I mean, we, we had got COVID tests every, you know, every three days, we were all in our own little pod. Like we drove ourselves to and from the sets. Um, we really tried to keep each other safe. Um, and I'm just amazed and happy that we were able to do it safely. And, you know, and I, but I think that that, that feeling is in the film too. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it only added to this, like the, the high stakes of the film because the high stakes in real life were so, I mean, the stakes were so high that, <laughs> I mean, that honestly, if someone in our crew or in our, you know, would have gotten COVID, we would have had to shut down maybe entirely because we wouldn't have been able to afford to, you know, have everyone sit out for two weeks while this person, you know, and who, you know, we just, yeah, it was a miracle. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I, I, I hear you on that. And you were mentioning earlier about like the life that this film has had uh, premiering at Cannes Film Festival. I saw you at uh, Telluride actually when it premiered uh, there as well. And it's been going to all these other festivals playing in New York and now finally heading towards theatrical release. Just what would you, how would you describe like what the last couple of months have been like in terms of just this whirlwind I imagine of reactions and seeing people in theaters experiencing Red Rocket? Oh my gosh, it has been so much fun it has been such an interesting ride it's you know it's divisive in some ways some Mm -hmm. people have walked out some people afterwards are like i didn't know what this is about and i love it you know i i have really enjoyed watching audiences react to it i I love the q a's to hear people's thoughts and points of view um it really has been such a treat to share this movie and and honestly one of my favorite was going down to texas and going to houston and sharing it with a lot of the people who are in the film who came up from texas city to watch a screening of it it was so special to be able to share it with the people of the community and to see their reactions and i felt like i was fangirling because i (laughs) i'm not in a ton of scenes with a lot of the people you know like most of my scenes are in the house are Mm -hmm. with you know just a few people so, you know, I ended up seeing some of these people there and I'm like, oh my God, you're the interviewer in the beginning. Oh my God, you were so good. I was like, <laughs> so great. And, you know, cause I just had, I've seen it so many times and they had never seen it. They're like, oh, I can't wait to see it. And I'm like, oh my God, you have the shotgun. Oh, that was perfect. That moment's so great. Like I was so 
excited to see them. And like I said, totally fangirling on the people in the film. So it has really just been such a treat. I'm like savoring every second of it. And I can't wait for more people to see this film. Yeah, I think that good art inspires conversation. This movie has definitely done that and has brought about a dialogue that I find to be very, very fascinating. I, I, I thank you very, very much for your time today. Look, and thank you. Yeah, no, totally. And I hope to see you again uh, soon over these next couple of weeks as uh, the release rolls out. Yay, I hope so too. Thank you so much. All right, you have a nice rest of your day. You too. Bye. So why are you back, Mr. Hollywood? Mikey, welcome back, dude. I'm on top of my game right now on like every single possible level. Physical stamina, my mind is sharp. I'm taking 5-HTP for serotonin in my brain. Yeah. Dude, with my skill and ability, there's no denying what I can do. The universe is on my side, bro. Before long, it'll be like we're still married. We are still married. Hey, Sean, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, good. It's great seeing you again after uh, last night's Gotham Awards. Me uh, too. Yeah, man, absolutely. It was a hell of an evening and it was great seeing everybody. Um, I wanted to first start off uh, by asking you uh, in regards to Red Rocket, you know, coming off of the Florida Project, that was probably the most acclaim, recognition, biggest spotlight I feel like you've had on your career so far. Um, and I, I was curious to know, it seemed like the expectation was going to be that your next film would be maybe a, a step up in terms of production budget, size, scales, whatever you want to call it. Do you like and enjoy mostly playing around in the independent filmmaking scene or was it COVID? Uh, like, what was it about the scale of Red Rocket uh, that yeah. had come together the way that it did? You know, it's 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 uh, it's difficult to discuss it really because i'm always feeling i'm always torn when i'm thinking about this it's yeah I, I, any filmmaker hates having to you know to go to go backwards and in many ways it feels like when you're given a budget that's a quarter of the budget of your last film yeah mm -hmm. it feels like you're taking steps backwards in your career i felt the same way with tangerine when i couldn't get the budget i wanted after starlet mm -hmm. i thought oh wouldn't this open every door I needed it to open? I needed to need it opened. Uh, but no, that didn't actually end up happening. So next thing you know, I had to take a tiny little bit of money mm -hmm. uh, and work with the Duplass brothers in order to make a tiny iPhone movie. And at the time, yeah, I was kicking myself going, what, what what's happened? Like, I thought I proved myself at least enough where I would mm -hmm. be trusted. Guess not. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so with the uh, Florida project, I think it was a combination of me making, you know, I'm, I'm still not uh, trusted. Uh, and then COVID on top of that yeah, makes it so that, no, uh, I can't work my way up in budgets. Silver lining, though, in all of this, though, you are yeah. one of the prominent best voices out there in American independent film and people love your movies and they love your style. They love the spotlight that you place on these uh, underrepresented communities that we don't typically see films made about. So I, I guess in that regard, like, I mean, that's highly unique and something that not everyone is necessarily doing. Actually, to tell you the truth, it's always in hindsight that I actually appreciate the limitations that were imposed upon us because of budgets and and because of other out you know outside forces so so i uh yeah no i i but i'm human so in the moment it's like kind of like kicking myself for agreeing to do it and then 
right after it's done being like that was the way it had to be done sure. yeah <laughs> i hear you on that. Uh, and 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 also i i'm trying to i'm trying to obviously um uh retain you know as i as i as i figure out what film is next i i i have to keep i have to consider this i have to consider the fact that like those imposed limitations really led to stuff i never would have come up on my uh, on on my own with and and i just um and 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 i did actually enjoy the intimacy of a small family unit uh not having to answer to anybody and just being able to focus on us just just having a this the same goal in mind yep. and and so honestly uh i would love to do this again i don't know if yep. it's gonna it has to be a little bit bigger because <laughs> uh, just for us to be comfortable and not being eating pizza all day but but besides that i really did love the size because you know it you don't have it, it's almost like this weird like challenge you 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 are limiting yourself in order to have serendipity and happy accidents come your way so we were if we had a problem we could not throw money at the problem because we didn't have that money we couldn't throw time at the problem because we didn't have time so we just have to pivot away from the problem say okay we can't do that let's go in this direction and that happened literally like every three hours on this set it was a, a constant pivoting and and uh but i had i had you know producers who really stepped up for the challenge and they were wearing so many hats and they were also skilled at all those hats. So, you know, uh, it, 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 it was the team around me that allowed this constant pivoting and moving forward to happen. Okay, round two, name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. Speaking of challenging, we're living in challenging times where challenging characters are not necessarily being wholly embraced by online social media and everyone seems to have an opinion nowadays of like the purity if you will of how characters should be portrayed on screen and the main character here of Mikey is one that 
definitely has a tremendous amount of flaws about him. And so I'm curious to know, uh, writing that character, coming up with that character, working with Simon Rex, knowing that it would probably be a bit uh, divisive amongst audience members, can you talk about just what it was that you were trying to capture uh, through the essence of Mikey? Sure, yeah. Um, Listen, I love anti-heroes in films. I, I feel you learn more from you know, uh, characters with flaws because you recognize the human side of that character. You mm-hmm. recognize yourself sometimes. So, and I, I've, uh, and yeah, I agree with you. We we're in a time now where, where, uh, we're being overly sensitive, I think, to audiences because, you know, we hear, you know, everybody has their soapbox now with, with social media. So, mm-hmm you know, somebody who has, who, who just doesn't want to see this, not whether they are actually like, whether they feel that the movie itself is, is uh, immoral, that they're not talking, they're just saying, I don't want to see an immoral character. So therefore the movie is immoral or something like they're making, they're, they're mm-hmm. equating. Yeah. Which, which obviously I don't agree with. And so, you know, that's, it's sad. We're in that time where like, people are ready to dismiss something just because the subject matter disturbs them. Mm-hmm. And I think, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't fall into that. And I can't, I, I, I don't want to entertain that. So, you know, I, I know that my film is a little more risky, especially being made at this time. And obviously it's going to probably, for lack of a better word, trigger some audience members. But, you know, I feel that I'm, I'm being truthful in, in what I'm putting out there. I'm being honest. And, um, and yeah, okay. So I, uh, some people might be rubbed the wrong way, but I think that also we're, we're putting out something that I think you'll get a lot more out of than just a simple black and white morality tale, a big bad wolf, little lamb. That's easy stuff. I could have done that easily. Yeah. Uh, but that's not what I'm interested in doing. Life is more complex than that. Yeah, I mean, when I saw the film at uh, at Telluride, it, it was a conversation starter, and it was one of the uh, films that I did have the most enjoyment speaking to people about in terms of understanding like what their perceptions were of the films, their opinions, and so on and so forth. But one thing that we all agreed upon uh, was this might have been the best use of an NSYNC song in a movie quite ever, literally, in the history of cinema. So. Hey. Cool. <laughs> Thank you for that very, very much. Uh, can you talk about what it was like uh, acquiring the rights for that song? Because it's used so prevalently in the film's marketing and obviously in the movie itself. It wasn't a part of our budget. Let's just say that. It was <laughs> after the, it was a, it was a, uh, it was part of the post budget that once we, you know, um, but, but let's just say it, I wish I could tell you it was actually in the script and it was like an, one of my initial thoughts, but no, it, it actually came about during pretty much during production, maybe a little bit before production, like pre-production when I found out that Susie's son mm-hmm. was a wonderful performer and singer and she actually taught piano. So yeah. we discussed this and we said, how can we, you know, display your talent on, on screen? And that's when I wrote that scene for her. And then we had this, text thread going around the crew and cast where we are all coming up with you know the 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 song titles that we were like okay maybe she could do this maybe she could do this it had to contextually fit 
Um, and then everybody just settled on NSYNC because it's the number one. I mean, it's such an iconic major pop song that lyrically fits perfectly with, you know, with this, the film and also timing the film. I mean, song came out in, I believe, the very beginning of 2000. Mm-hmm. And that's probably about the time that Mikey and Lexi ventured out of their small town of Texas City to L.A. So that it works on that level, too. And and um yeah, so we, my, my, my wonderful music supervisor, Matthew Smith, who also acquired uh, Celebration for Florida Project, mm-hmm. I said, I got another assignment for you. <laughs> and he, but he made it happen. And I know that all five members had to sign off on, uh, they read the script. I still, I think they're, they have yet to see the movie. But, uh, <laughs> but hey, <laughs> I hope they like it. I hope they like it. Yeah. Uh, as soon as that song just came on during the title sequence, I knew right away, oh my gosh, the energy and the enthusiasm I was having for this movie was right there in the moment and it had me hooked uh, instantaneously. And the performances, everyone here is fantastic across the, bo- across the board. I love your vibrant, vivid camera work with uh, Drew Daniels in this and how he really brings the landscape to life as well. I Wanted to ask you in terms of just portraying uh, the community, uh, the Texas yeah. community, like in capturing that on film here with these vibrant colors. Um, can you talk a little bit about your collaboration uh, with Drew Daniels on this and what it was that you guys were uh, going after here? Sure. Yeah, he's incredible. Great guy to work with. Fast, fast, fast. He's faster on 16 millimeter than I've seen most DPs uh, beyond digital. Wow. Like he was often waiting on me. <laughs> you know, it's always about like, hey, when is when is a uh, camera going to be ready? And I would always turn to Drew and he's like, I'm waiting on you, man. <laughs> so, and, you know, and we and this was actually this. There was a lot of setup for him because mm-hmm. this wasn't just all handheld. This was a very control. I mean, there are a few scenes that are handheld, but for the most part, we were very controlled and we had dollies and very specific framing. Um, so um and and there was lighting, although he, he's trying to make it look like you know natural lighting, so it's enhancing a lot of the practicals. And you know he he was the one who said, "Let's look at the work of Vilmo Sigmund." Uh, obviously, we're both fans of his work, but he yeah. brought Shirtland Express to the table, and he said, "This is the way they shot Houston back in the day. Let's look at it." And I fell back in love with it. I hadn't seen it for thirty years since NYU, so. Uh, just, 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 just being in awe of, you know, uh, Spielberg, Spielberg's craft and the way that he captured that landscape. And we actually applied a lot to that, to the film. I'm not sure if you noticed, but a lot of the, you know, the driving lateral shots are right out of Sugarland Express. Some of okay. the framing where like she's in the rear view mirror while there's action in the back. That's very Vilmos and Spielberg influenced. And then also, you know, Italian sex comedies of the early seventies, a lot of, you'll see a lot of Italian genre in there. Cause that's mm-hmm. what I, I particularly love the craft of, of Italian films and especially of uh, the, the, the genre of the seventies films. And uh, so you'll see, you know, you know, you'll see Spaghetti Western in that last scene where Leandria is kicking him out and yep. you'll see, you know, sex comedy stuff th- throughout. So um, those were the films that we were going, that we were looking at. And, and yet we wanted to make something fresh and wanted to make something contemporary. And we agreed that 16 millimeter would work, anamorphic 16, which mm-hmm. is a rarity. It's a rarity. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, so, 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 I mean, Drew delivered exactly what I was looking for and I, I'm so happy and really 
looking forward to working with him in the future. So now I, I'm, I'm surrounded by these amazing DPs. I, I have my choice. <laughs> Which is a, a great segue into my final question here, a question that I always love to ask on our interviews, uh, since we're always looking for the next best picture to come around the corner all the time. What is next for Sean Baker? Well, um, you know, I, again, going back to what I said earlier, where like I was really found, I found this experience to be freeing and, and very liberating and very just fun just actually creatively rewarding. Mm -hmm. uh, and so before I move on to this bigger film that I had been developing for a while up in Vancouver, I may make another film along the lines of Red Rocket, you know, maybe slightly bigger in terms of budget, but something that's same scale in terms of, uh, you know, an interesting story. I can't tell you any details yet because I'm <laughs> still trying to figure it out, but mm -hmm. you know, something, something along the same lines. And, uh, I'm not talking about like the sex industry or, the, you know, adult yeah. film industry, but I'm just talking about a character study with a small group of people in a place that we probably haven't seen before, at least photographed a certain way before. Yeah. Well, I'm trying, I don't want it to be another four years. Let's just say that. Fair uh, enough. <laughs> I, really love, I would really love to get, love to shoot sometime this, this time next year. I hope so too, because uh, like I mentioned earlier, you're a very singular voice out there and, one that um, I think is very, very important to independent film and very, very excited to see what you deliver next, especially because I'm uh, such a big fan of all of your work. So thank you very much, Sean, for taking the time here to talk with me today. I really, really appreciate it. Cool. Thank you. All right. Have a good one. You too. See you soon. What's your name? Everybody calls me Strawberry. You're like an extraterrestrial around here. Don't fuck with me. Not. Where were you? This cute little town called None of Your Fucking Business, Texas. Hope you had a good fucking time. Now it's time to leave. I think it's cool. You just said, fuck it. I'm going to get paid for doing the thing I love most. And as long as you're not hurting anybody, you do you, man. I'm not afraid to fight you. I don't give a what the fuck? He sucker punched me. I would 100% out cardio that guy. Fuck. Sorry for swearing. The shit got out of control. I came this fucking close to getting shot. This fucking close. And the dog's like, oh, he's a good man. I can tell by his nice energy. Your persona non grata. Life's sweet, Sophie. Life is sweet. Susanna son, how are you today? Uh, I'm medium rare. How are you? I'm well done. Let's put Good. it that way. <laughs> uh, I'm very excited to be talking with you. Recent Gotham Award nominee as well. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's been a really, really exciting time uh, for you for this film. And I wanted to first start off by asking you, uh, how did you come aboard the project? Because all the time when these small films come together, I'm always fascinated to hear uh, how people get brought on board. Did you know somebody? Did you audition? How did it all happen? Yeah, so I had just moved to LA about nine days before this. And wow. um, I went to the Arclight Theater in Hollywood to see he won't get very far on foot. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, great movie. And Sean Baker and his partner, Samantha, walked up to me. Um, I didn't recognize him, like, from his face. But when he said, hi, I'm Sean Baker. I directed the Florida Project, you know, light bulb moment. I knew who he was. Mm -hmm. um, he said, are you interested in auditioning for something, you know, making something down the line? I said, sure, absolutely. He gave me his email on a piece of paper that I still have. And 
it took about two and a half years to get that audition because you know he was working on something else and that's, that's just life uh but then he reached out asked me to audition and i think three days later i got the part and then drove to texas wow that's really that, that really is amazing how long the process can sometimes take uh with getting a role and coming on board and projects starting and stopping all the time it's just like the chaos of hollywood like in a nutshell um in this movie is very chaotic it's very energetic it has this lively spirit to it and a lot of it is because of your absolutely sizzling chemistry that you have with simon rex so can you talk a bit about uh the relationship that you two had with one another uh, prior to shooting um and what you guys uh talked about in terms of both of your characters uh before the cameras rolled yeah prior to shooting we were strangers uh we both arrived in texas had a great dinner together and just instantly started rehearsing and connecting and talked about, I don't know, everything under the sun, really. And I think that's what made it so strong is, is just how funny and easy Simon is to get to know. And, and yeah, it was great. He's like a big brother to me. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah. that's really, that's really good to hear. And, you know, the relationship that the two of you guys have in this movie, it has caused uh, some divisive reactions amongst audiences. I've seen uh, this movie play a couple of times now at different screenings. Um, I myself, I laughed my ass off during it. I had a good time. I understand what Sean Baker is going for here in terms of presenting uh, Mikey as this really flawed character that we're not supposed to necessarily sympathize with. Uh, but it is steeped within his own reality of how he views this relationship with strawberry so i'm just yeah, curious to know like when you read the script and you see okay there's this age gap this could be taken the wrong way are there any alarms going off and is there sean baker there to tell you hold on hold on just wait <laughs> let me explain uh there weren't alarm bells i didn't put a value judgment on it and i and i bet that's because it's sean baker and i understand his films and that he's trying to show us something so that we can decide what to do with that he's mm -hmm. not saying he's not glorifying this so right yeah i understood instantly and from the script as well yeah yeah totally and working with sean i i find him to be just such an amazing filmmaker on the independent american filmmaking scene and uh i'm curious to know what the relationship was like between the two of you collaboratively speaking uh what is he like on set he's the best listener on set he's like an energizer bunny but a genius <laughs> and I, yeah i just always felt so safe to try anything even if it was silly or wrong because you know you gotta try it you have to break an egg to make an omelet and he's just really accepting so yeah I hear you on that totally and uh he was telling me the other day that uh your use of the song Bye 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 by, by NSYNC was actually a huge reason why that song got used in the movie, a part of the marketing material. When you're in that scene with Simon and you're at the piano playing, were there other songs that you uh, used or was it or was that the only one? Uh, there there were some things being tossed around. There was a song I, I had written uh, a few years previous that was about like outer space and a rocket. So it kind of fit, but it was just too on the nose. Uh, and Bye 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 is just an epic breakup song. I mean, we have to have oh, it's it. It's so good. It's such a banger, right? It's like as soon as I heard it in the opening of the movie, I, I just like strapped myself in and was like, all right, I'm in for a good time with this. <laughs> and then also, too, you mentioned before, like going and shooting on location in in Texas. Um, have you ever been to Texas before prior to shooting Red Rocket? 
No, I hadn't. And what an interesting time to go during a pandemic and for work. So I, I didn't get out much. I think I went to the rainforest cafe once, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, but it was beautiful from what I could see. Uh, Yeah. Nice. And your character in the movie also uh, works at a donut shop. And I'm curious to know what is on your like Mount Rushmore of donut flavors. Do you have any specific donuts that you absolutely love? Yeah, I like maple bars, um, maybe an apple fritter if that counts. They're accidentally vegan, so that's cool. Nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at this point in your career right now, I imagine that this is like obviously like a whirlwind of a time, right? The film premieres at Cannes. It has this like long festival run, plays in multiple places. Now we're in the award season. So this has just been like a nonstop journey for you uh, this past year, I imagine. What has that introduction to all of this been like yeah yes and no like it's been crazy but there's been little breaks like I'll go to a festival and I'll be in this bubble and it'll be insane for five days and then I come home for a month and I get to you know so it's it's been actually a nice slow adjustment I don't know I don't want to it but it's been really lovely I feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be or whatever do you like to distance yourself from the work entirely when you're at home or are you reading like another script or doing something else creatively uh, during that time off? Uh, well, I'm shooting another project right now. Ooh, so, yes. I, I think I worked 15 hours yesterday. So yeah, I'm a little bit drowning, but it's fun. That's really exciting. Uh, are you allowed to say what it is or who you're working with or anything like that? Yeah, I can tell you uh, um, the show is called The Idol. Uh, and it's with The weekend and Lily Rose Depp, and it's been amazing. That's awesome. That's really great. Now, what's it like working with The weekend? So fun. Yeah. I don't know. I get nervous, and <laughs> it, it, it's exciting now. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. And this film, like I was saying before, it has such a animated, unique energy to it. It seems like it was a lot of fun. And the set feels like it was very lively as well. Is there a time on set that you can recall a story or anything like that that was like for you, like the most fun day on set? Yeah, um, it didn't start out fun. It was the roller coaster scene. It was crying crying for days leading up to that because I knew it was coming up on the schedule. Um, But it was so fun when we actually did it. And I got to drink a green matcha latte because Sean said, you know, if you vomit, I want it to be pretty. And, you know, it's another example of his happy accidents. Uh, I just thought it was so, so fun. (laughs) That was fantastic. I love that. And then what would you say was probably the most challenging part of all of this for you, taking on this character? What what for you was the thing that, anything that was uh, a, a nice opportunity for you? Yeah, the the first day was the most challenging because we did all the scenes in Strawberry's house that day. So it was the singing scene, the sex scene, and uh, the doorway scene. And I I was just, that was a lot. We're jumping right in. It's very vulnerable to sing like that. Uh, But Sean made it very comfortable and felt like I could call myself an actor after that. I mean, I really, really liked your performance in this. So I think that it's fair to say that you should be able to call yourself an actor after this. Yeah, no, you have a very, very captivating screen presence about you. And like when Mikey lays eyes upon you for the first time, you know, us as an audience are wondering, does he know this girl? What's going on? But there's something about her that captures, you know, his attention and us too, as an audience. What would you say from a characteristic standpoint when it comes to uh, Strawberry were qualities that you identified with with her? 
we're very different, but there's something that like she taught me or, or something that like I want to carry on. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's that she doesn't tell people who she is. She shows them. She doesn't go around saying that she's a singer. She just sings. And I like that. You don't have to self-proclaim everything. It can just be the person you are. You don't have to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like that. Now, obviously, you're very uh, new to all of this. And like I was saying before, we're very, very excited to have you here. Was this always the goal? Was this always the dream to be on screen acting? Um, it wasn't always the dream, but there was something in, inside me that, that is driving towards performance. And I, it, I need to do it. <laughs> so it always comes back into my life and finds me, slaps me across the face, you know? Yeah. Is there a goal or a challenge that you would like to tackle in the future? Anything like a genre or something like that? Hmm. Maybe something real scary and physical, like with my body. I feel like a, I could be a very physical actor, maybe. Body horror stuff. I like it. Yeah, awesome. Something. Well, Susanna, thank you so much for your time today. I really, really appreciate getting a chance to talk with you. And congratulations on Red Rocket. Thank you. Nice to meet you. You as well. Take care. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to my interviews with two of the stars from Red Rocket, Brie Elrod and Susanna Sun, plus the writer and director Sean Baker here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Red Rocket is currently playing in limited release from A24. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.